So, we just had our prayer of confession, and now I have a confession. Yeah, everybody's paying attention all of a sudden. Here's, here, here's, here's my confession. On the back of your bulletin, there's an outline for the sermon. You may recall that in the not-too-distant past, I didn't put an outline for my sermons in, on the bulletin, and I just started doing it recently, and I found that I don't really do a good job of preaching according to the outline that's in the bulletin, okay? Uh, you know, it, it's like you get up on Sunday morning and you look at the bulletin and you go, oh my gosh, that's what I've got to say? Things change. Things, things, things change. They have a, they have a way, I, I, I am going to kind of stick to this, by the way, but things change in our lives. We're, we're in a constant, we're in a constant state of change, especially nowadays with all the new kinds of technologies that are coming out. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like, reminds me of the title of the movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I might have gotten that not in the right order, but whatever. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Planes. You know, nowadays, the technology is moving forward with jet engines and they're becoming more efficient. Uh, our planes can, can fly further. Wow, that's really great. And trains. In certain parts of the world, there are trains that go really, really fast. As a matter of fact, they're so fast that it takes more, in some countries, it takes more time to go short distances in an airplane than it does in a train. And automobiles, wow, the technology of automobiles, I, I, it, it, it's just unbelievable what they're doing with cars nowadays, and they're so efficient. We're making the transition from gasoline and diesel to, to electric cars, and they're even coming out with driverless cars. Uh, they're working on that. You may have seen, encountered a few this morning on the way to church. <laughs> but technology is moving us forward. Things are changing. But you know there's that, that sp- expression, that saying, the more things change, the more they remain the same. And with all the, the technology and planes, trains, and automobiles, those changes, the underlying principle, the underlying purpose is the same to transport people from one place to another. So things change, but the purposes remain the same. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that is a covenant that he has made with us that has never changed. And we also say sometimes, hopefully more than just sometimes, that God is the same today as he was yesterday, and he is tomorrow. Things change, but they also remain the same. And we're going to take a look at it this morning in Habakkuk. You know, as Jay pointed out last week when he started this sermon series, he knows of two ways to pronounce it. I might pronounce it differently during the course of the sermon. And just as I was this morning, as I was trying to figure out exactly how I should be pronouncing it, Samuel Duaneus comes up to me and he says, you know, we have a different way in Spanish. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> but our scripture lesson this morning comes from Habakkuk, Habakkuk, or whatever your personal preference is. 
It's for, we start in the first chapter, verse 12, and we're going to go through the second chapter, uh, verse 5. And this is how it reads. This is Habakkuk speaking. He says to God, Are you not from ever, everlasting, my Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing forever? I will take my stand at the, at the watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer con- concerning my complaint. And then God responds, responds and says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is is as white as Sheol. Like death, he, has never, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would understand it. Understand it to the extent that you would want us to understand it. And not just to sit idly and say, oh, we understand your word. But when we leave here today... We pray that we would go and we would act on your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, Pastor Jay started this sermon series on Habakkuk. And the setting for this is that over a course of several hundred years, the Jews, the people of Judah, have drifted further and further and further away from God. They're supposed to be living according to a covenant. And that covenant we see back in, in, in Genesis is, I will be your God and you will be my people. But the problem here is that it's not easy for people to keep that covenant. God is true. God is, is right on. There is no deviating with God. He is who he says he is, and he s- sticks to the promises that he says that he is going to promise. Mankind, on the other hand, and you and I are mankind, we're not so great at this. We're not so good. As a matter of fact, if we go back to just a few minutes ago when we had the prayer of confession, and I, we were saying that, you know, if we're, if we're God's special people, Shouldn't we be able to get away with a few things? Isn't there something that eh, maybe we don't have to do exactly what we're supposed to be doing? 
After all, we are God's special people. And the Jews knew that they were God's special people. And with that knowledge, they still drifted further and further apart from God. They didn't keep the covenant. So what has happened now is that God has become angry with his people. God does become angry with his people. It's in the Bible. God becomes angry with his people. He has a lot of patience. He's, he's long-suffering as the, the expression goes. But there comes a time when enough is enough. And God will not be mocked. You can't say that you are one of God's special people and not act like you are one of God's special people. You can't say that, oh, I'm covered by the blood of the covenant, and then mock it. You can't mock God. There are consequences. So the people have gotten farther and farther away from, from being the people who they are supposed to be, and now God is going to let the Babylonians come and invade their country and carry them away to captivity. And we have Habakkuk now crying out to the Lord. And he cries out and he says, God, you are my rock. You are the one that I depend on. You are the one that I look to. How can you let this happen to your people? You have declared these people to be your people. And now, and now... The enemy, the ruthless enemy, they're not just enemies, they're pagans, and they behave worse than we behave. How can you let this happen? And he calls out to the Lord and he says, You are my rock. You are my rock. You are the one on whom I depend. And you're letting this happen. How can that be? When we look and we see our, what we think of as a rock, we think of something that is solid. Something that is, is there, it's, it's, it's solid. In some instances a rock can be precious. It's something that can be depended on. Rock solid. Rock solid. That's an expression that we have in our culture. Rock solid. And Habakkuk calls out to the Lord and he says, You are my rock. You are the one that I depend on. How can this be? It's interesting that we think of God as being the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. When we look to the New Testament and we look to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verses 3 and 4, kind of, not exactly, because as I told you, I'm not good with outlines. But you look there and Paul is talking about a rock out in the desert, out in the Sinai, that is leading the people, the Jewish people in the, in the Exodus, from Egypt to the Promised Land. And Paul says, this isn't a rock like we think of a rock as something solid, physically. He says, this is a spiritual rock. And he says, this spiritual rock was Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Jesus 
we believe is God. We believe in the, in the Trinity. That's how we define God. What, what is God? God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we think of Jesus comes and he's our Savior. But remember, all salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And here we have an example of Paul telling us that even back in the Old Testament, back in the Old Testament, salvation was still through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, who is in effect God himself. And you know, if you, if you look at the history of the Exodus, if you get out your Bibles and you, not now, but if you get out your Bibles when you get home and you look at the history of the Exodus, you'll see that there was a rock from the beginning to the end. From, from the beginning to the end. And Paul says that rock is a spiritual rock. It was Jesus Christ leading his people. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, is always, always, always leading his people. We have that covenant. I am your God, and you are my people. Habakkuk goes on, and he talks about how people are like fish in water, swimming around. Swimming around, and a net is cast into the water and pulls the, the fish out, or pulls the people out. When I was a child, when I was a teenager, actually, I had a fish tank. I raised tropical fish. And that's exactly what fish did, was they swam around. That was the thrill of having fish, is watching them swim around. And after you've watched them swim around for a while, you get to clean the tank. Okay? Not always so much fun. But fish, you know, despite what you may see in cartoons and in movies, you don't usually think of fish as being on a mission. They're just kind of swimming around. And what Habakkuk is saying here is, the enemy, the Babylonians, they've come and they've just cast their nets into a sea of people, God's people, who are just swimming aimlessly around because they're not keeping the covenant. They're just swimming around. And the enemy comes and they cast their net into this pool of people and pulls them out. And because the people, the Jews, God's people are in that net, they're under the control of the Babylonians who are casting that net. And they're under their control and the Babylonians can basically do just about anything they want with them. One of the things, though, that is consistent in, in, in biblical prophecy in the prophets, when you read the prophets, whether it be Isaiah or Jeremiah or Habakkuk, one of the things that is consistent all through it with a, there are a few exceptions to this, but basically it's three things that you find in the prophets. The prophets are bringing the message from God that, and they say, you have broken the covenant. That's the first thing the prophets say is, you have broken the covenant. The next thing they say is, you need to repent. And if you don't repent, there's going to be consequences. 
And the third thing is, after the consequences, there is hope for a glorious future. Because you see, the covenant doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. It depends on God and God's faithfulness. One of the interesting things that we find uh, concerning nets is in Matthew when God or when Jesus calls his original disciples, he says, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There's a little verse there. It's Matthew 4.20, and it says very simply, They left their nets. They left their nets to follow Jesus. That's what I call a, a Zimriism. A Zimriism is a little piece of scripture where something very, very small has happened, but it actually, if you think about it, has great consequences. And Zimriism is named after King Zimri in the Old Testament. He was a, a, a king of, of Samaria. And he ruled the shortest time of any of the kings of Judah and Samaria. Yet there is more verses given about him in the Bible than in several kings that ruled much longer than he did. And so you would ask yourself, why is this one insignificant person, why is this insignificant thing getting so much attention? In this case, the nets aren't really given a lot of attention, but nevertheless, there's that one verse, they left their nets. And what I think this tells us is that when Jesus came and he called his disciples and he said, you, you, and you, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they left their nets. They left their old way of living. They gave it up. Now in Habakkuk, it says that the, the people who were casting the nets worshipped their nets. That wasn't the case with the original disciples. They were not worshipping their nets. But they were dependent upon their nets for their livelihood. They were dependent upon their nets for their livelihood. In Habakkuk, it says that the Babylonians were worshipping their nets. And we find that today. We find that in our culture today. The nets that our culture uses to throw over us and bring us in, these are the things that our culture worships. It's like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Those are things that we're really caught up with. With ourselves, with instant gratification for ourselves. And our world out there tells us, we can have it. It's all about us. We can be happy. We can just go with the flow. Go with it. And pretty soon, we find that we are the ones casting the nets and not in a good way because we're bringing our friends and our families with us and we're chasing after false gods that oftentimes as Christians we don't even realize that they are gods in our lives. 
but we chase after them and we give them homage. We worship them because we're taking our eyes off of God. So the the disciples leave their nets. Jesus says to them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's in the beginning of Matthew. At the end of Matthew, he gives the great commission. He's giving them instructions to go out now and be those fishers that I've told you I would teach you to be. Also, at the end of John, at the end of the Gospel of John, John doesn't have the story about, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But John is the the last of of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And at the end of John... Jesus, after he's been resurrected, he comes and he appears to his disciples who are fishing. And he says, have you caught anything? And they say, no, Lord, we haven't caught anything. Our nets are empty. And he says, take your nets, throw them over the right side of the boat, and see what happens. And they do that. And their nets are full of fish. So what's the difference here between Jesus telling the disciples, come follow me, and they leave their nets behind, and in the end, Jesus is saying, cast your net. Both of these are at the command of Jesus. And that's what we need to understand is that we act at the command of Jesus. We act at the command of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that is within us. That's how we act. And that, I think, is the importance here of these nets. Good nets and bad nets. The nets that ensnare us and the nets that are given to us by the Holy Spirit to bring people to Christ. So after Habakkuk has talked to God and said, Look, you're my rock. You are the one in whom I depend. You are the one whom I worship. And you're letting this happen to us? Why? And here's the Lord's reply. He says, The righteous will live by his faith. We're going to go through some hard times. All of us go through hard times. We go through hard times in our lives individually. We go through hard times in our families. We go through hard times at work. We go through hard times at church and all these other places. There's hard times. We're not promised that things are always going to be good. But we are promised a glorious future in Jesus Christ. And God says the righteous will live by his faith. He says that in Habakkuk. He says it in in Romans. He says it in Galatians. And he says it in Hebrews. It's really important. It's something to keep in mind. It's something to to always remember. When when we've got that net being cast over us that we don't want, when that that net of society gets us and is pulling us in, And we're going, Lord, Lord, save us. We remember this. The righteous will live by his faith. And our faith is in Jesus Christ.
Our faith is in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He is the author of our salvation. He is and was and always will be. We've seen how he was the rock, according to to Paul. He was the rock back in the time of the Exodus. We call him the rock of our salvation today. As a matter of fact, God, in whether Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, is called the rock approximately 60 times throughout the Bible. A spiritual rock, somebody on whom we can depend. Somebody on whom we can depend to avoid being captured by the net of the oppressors. And at the same time, we need to remember that we, like the original disciples, are also called to be fishers of men. We ourselves have nets to cast. Nets to cast because Jesus tells us to. He tells us to go into the world and to make disciples, to teach, and to baptize. Our denomination is the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's important that it says evangelical because in that we are declaring who we are and that we are anxious to respond to the call of the Holy Spirit to go out and to make disciples. You see, back in Habakkuk's time, as the people got further and further and further away from from obeying God's laws, As they got further away, their religion, their faith, just started to crumble. And that's why it's important to to get those little sins out of the way before they become big sins. Their faith began to crumble, and after a while, they really weren't acting or even looking like God's people at all. They were worshiping idols. They were worshiping the idols of the people around them. And they were falling prey to the Babylonians who worshipped their own gods. But as we know, there is only one God, and God makes a covenant with his people. You and I are his people. Let there be no doubt about that. We are his people, and he has a covenant with us. He says that he will be our God, and we will be his people. And he says that the righteous, that's us, the righteous will live by faith. And before we can look at what it means to live by faith, let's take a moment and look at the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. The God who is the same today as he was back then and and he is tomorrow. The faithfulness of God. When he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden because they transgressed his word. The covenant had not yet been expressed in that I will be your God and you will be my people. It was just kind of understood between Adam and Eve and Yahweh. And he gave them one thing to not do. One thing to not do. And the first thing they did was they looked at each other and they said, wow, what a challenge. Let's go for it. That's the way we are so many times today. When there's something over there, some little sin, some, some little thing that doesn't seem like much, but it can be a lot. And so Adam and Eve were 
were kicked out of the out of the garden. They had transgressed that unstated covenant that God had with them at that time. But when they were evicted from the Garden of Eden, they were also given a promise of a glorious future. And you see that all through the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament, as people transgress Yahweh's word, as they do things that, that go against the covenant, they suffer the consequences. But there's always that hope for a glorious future. You know, it's kind of like, in a way, I don't know if this is the best analogy, but it's the one you're going to get. It's like when you're going down the highway and you're doing 70 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour zone. And it, yeah, right, it doesn't seem like that much, does it? You're going to get away with it. The chances are you're going to get away with it until you pass that one policeman who's sitting there just waiting for you. But that's okay. It's only one ticket. It's no big deal. It's the only, it's the only blemish on your, on your driving record. Um, so, hey, one time in 20 years, no big deal. Until next week when you're going 70 miles an hour and you get pulled over again and now you've got two tickets and now it's becoming a little more serious because you ignored that first ticket and now you've got a second ticket and you're get, starting to get into trouble. And that's the way it is with us. We see these little things and we think we can get away with it. And maybe we kind of do, except there's the, they're, they're the kind of things that nobody sees except God sees. And then we get to be proven a liar when we say, hey, we're God's people. No problem here. Oh, yeah, there is a problem. We need to take this seriously. We need to take this seriously in the culture in which we live. We live in a dangerous culture. You know, every time you pull out American currency and, and you pull it out of your pocket, it's a dollar or it's a quarter or whatever it is, and it says, in God we trust. You know the problem? Nobody ever looks at the money anymore. Nobody looks at money because we do things, it's progress. We do it through, you know, we, I never get a paycheck. It's always deposited directly into my account. I don't need to look at the money. I don't need to see that in God we trust. Out of sight, out of mind. And when we go out, outside of these doors, and we're out there, and these temptations come at us, these nets are being thrown at us, out of sight, out of mind. I'll take care of it on Sunday. It doesn't work that way. And here's something to think about. It's not just God that sees our transgressions. It's not just God that sees the way that we live. But it's the people actually around us that see it also. And when we claim to be something that we're not, then we're not being fishers of men. And that's important. The Great Commission. How do we show how grateful we are to God for our salvation? We show it by obeying Him. And what does Jesus tell us to do? To go out into the world, to be fishers of men, to bring people into the fold, to teach them, 
to baptize them, to be salt and light to a fallen world. Little sins grow up to be big sins. God will not live with sin, but he will live with us because he calls us to him. And just as eventually the people who were captured by the Babylonians and taken, taken away from their land, eventually they were returned. And through Jesus Christ, as we venture off into a sinful life, through the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we are returned to where we should be. And we need to tell the world, because that should be the greatest joy in our life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a great and awesome God. We thank you that you've made a covenant with us, that you will be our God and we will be your people. And no matter what we do, and even through consequences, you will bring us back to you. You will bring, bring us back to you so that we can praise you, so that we can worship you, we can adore you, and we can keep your commands. And we pray this in Jesus' name, for it is Jesus who we are called to serve. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our king. Jesus is the only one that can make, that can make things truly right. And it is by faith in Jesus that we are able to live. In Jesus' name, amen.